What is going on you guys? Today's video, we're switching gears. We're gonna talk a little bit about real estate. I actually had a comment in from uh, one of our old time students asking, say it'd be interesting uh, to do an update on um, my experience, you know, now that we've purchased a couple properties. And I wanna share with you guys exactly that. As a 27 year old who is now three years into home ownership here in Vancouver, what is this all about? And I'm by no means an expert. You guys know that. I'm really learning as I go and I wanna share some insights. I found that, real estate is not all rainbows and sunshine like they make it out to be. You know, from the outside looking in, it's like you gotta be in real estate, it's this holy grail of, of investment, of asset, you gotta be in real estate. I found the process to be quite tedious, uh, quite costly, uh, it was more time consuming than you'd like, especially when you have a tenant in, and we're gonna talk about, um, you know, bad tenants, uh, which I do have an experience with that in, in the past, but nevertheless, it does come with its rewards, uh, no doubt. And I guess that's the trade-off. But yeah, let's get into the video today. As a brief background for those maybe not too familiar with my situation, last year, pretty much during the peak of the housing, you know, little boom there, like literally at the peak, if I had to pinpoint, we purchased uh, our townhome. And this is what we consider our family home. We ended up paying a grand total of 1.3 million for that uh, home. And that's just the price of a lot of the, the places you'll find here in, in Richmond is where I'm from, FYI. Not Vancouver, just south of Vancouver, but a very sought after uh, city as well. You know, more expensive, um, very nice, very safe, very clean. A lot of, uh, a lot of wealth in this area happens to be a very big Asian population, just that's just the way it is. That house has certainly gone down in value since we've purchased it, and we're gonna talk about that later. Uh, we do also have a condo, which I have a tenant in right now, and that one we got for 500K flat, and this was right during COVID. And what's really cool about my experience thus far, which I wanna start this video off with, is within just a short few years, I got to experience the buying process in both a, an optimal market for me, and then a not so optimal uh, market for a, a buyer. In fact, I found them to be very, very polar different and they came with two extremely different experiences. You know, when, when we purchased the condo, this was right back in 2020 when COVID was kind of in the swing of things. And a lot of people at the time, you know, we didn't have as much information as we did now on the severity of this and how long things were gonna last. And I believe there were lockdowns at the time. So we're wearing our mask when we go in these uh, viewings and showings. Um, it was right in the swing of COVID. I think that that panicked a lot of people. And like stock market, uh, you know, very similar comparable, these emotions just very much remain true. And for whatever reason, uh, the seller wanted to get out of their property and we ended up getting uh, actually, uh, we, we came in under listing. So I recall this property being listed out 515, uh, 525, something along that lines for a one bedroom den in um, Richmond. We ended up putting the offer in pretty much, um, I remember there's a bit of negotiation and we went in a little bit lower. Long story short, we ended up getting the deal at uh, 500K. Nevertheless, it turned out well. I just saw a couple months ago, uh, a unit in this exact same area went, like the exact same you know, apartment unit went for 600 plus K. It probably has come down now given the, the state of the market, but nevertheless, I, I'm very happy with that price we paid there. What's crazy is that literally a year or so later, like not much longer, you know, 2021, 2022, I forget what it was. It was a completely different buying environment like completely different. If we want to consider that like a little pocket of a buyer's market where we had this opportunity, we had leverage to come in under ask and that type of thing. This next property was a gong show. And after a couple of failed 
offers that we had put out on different properties, which I actually documented, by the way, on the second channel. A lot of you guys don't know we have a second channel, but um, I actually documented this and you guys found it really um, interesting to just share as I was going along. We had found a place for like 1.285 um, mil. 1.23, excuse me, is, is what it was, just recalling back to the video. And we did our, you know, our tours, we crunched our numbers and we're like, this, this is awesome, this is the one. Uh, and we go ahead and put our offer in. We ended up coming in 30K over asking, so above their listed price, no subjects, meaning that we had no subject to inspection, no subject to financing, uh, essentially trying to come in with like the cleanest deal where it's just like, uh, hey, they're looking at it, they're like, yes or no. Uh, long story short, you can go watch that video, but that home ended up selling for 120K over asking. So we thought we were doing, you know, we thought we were coming in with a good offer, 30K over what they're asking. Well, there ended up being 10 offers uh, on, that pro on that property, uh, many of them subject free. And I remember the real estate agent even saying like, like, hey, it may not even be worth countering, um, you know, if you're not really willing to move up because that, there was just that much demand. Um, again, in only a year or so after uh, purchasing that first place. Case in point being is that, um, the, the landscape in which you're buying really makes a difference and the emotions that are at play and it totally changes the buying experience and it's not that fun uh, purchasing a home during a, a very hot market because especially when you're younger and you know you may have you know your budget like you go to your mortgage broker and they say hey this is what you can afford or this is the, your top top of budget you, you feel kind of like it does feel very hopeless when you're getting outbid by other people uh, in many cases who may have a lot more money than you and again you're kind of set on this ceiling or cap uh, and you do all this work going to check out the properties and then you start to fall in love with it. Like as you're going through the tour, you're like, oh, this is where this can go and this can go. And then you and your partner, whoever it is, get, start getting really excited, excited. And then, um, hey, it's not even close. Cool to experience that. Uh, our condo that we ended up buying, I'll just share a quick little story. We ended up um, winning the bid, obviously. That's where we live now. But we were not the highest offer. Essentially, it came down to about three three or so offers that they kind of had on the table, all subject free. So we didn't do the inspection, we didn't do anything. We ended up getting the place because we had written a, a handwritten letter and this was instructed by our real estate uh, broker or, or our agent who's very, very experienced and I'm really glad we went with this guy. Um, very important to have a good, good agent on your side because what I've come to learn is that the real estate game is very much like it's not strictly mathematical. It's not strictly here, sign this paper, check this, da, 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 da. It very much is a relationship game. It very much is a communication game. It's kind of like a dance. Like there's kind of an art to it where you're, you know, you, you, these are real people involved that are selling the homes, whether it's the, the seller or their agent. The personal connections go a long way. And anywho, you know, after we'd lost a couple of homes, we had to really pull out all the stops. And Viv and I ended up handwriting a letter with, with our agent and we put a little photo in there saying, you know, hey, we had a baby on the way, we have our pets, da da da, this is the perfect home for us. Kind of a little sob story. And uh, it turns out that, you know, the owner of the home had two kids and their kids were going through, you know, old two older kids. And he remembers the struggle they went through to um, find a home, however many years ago it was. And uh, case in point being was that he, he resonated with our story, that little handwritten note, to the point where they went with our offer even though it wasn't the actual highest in terms of dollar, dollar value, which was really, really cool. So that was a lesson that you know worked really well for us. You know, you are dealing with real people. We didn't talk to the, the actual the seller. Um, this is just verbalized through the agents, but um, 
they felt that we would have been a good fit for their home. That was important to them. And if, had we not written that letter, I guarantee we wouldn't have got the place. So that was really cool. But uh, nevertheless, two very different experiences in two very different markets. Um, yeah, definitely not as fun buying when there's so much demand and so much excitement for, for homes because that really can, can, can be stressful. Um, let's move on now to the cost because as I mentioned, you know, real estate is, is a very costly endeavor. The obvious one that you're gonna have to uh, save up for and you will hear about is uh, the down payment. And we put 20% down on uh, both of our homes. To me, that's pretty standard. I know there are cases where you can put less uh, from what I understand. But uh, to me, I just look at 20% down. That's just the you know the the base the basic. If you want to get a you know a, a typical mortgage with the right type of insurance, yada yada yada, 20% down is what you save up to, and that may take time getting there. But that's a big big chunk, uh, depending on the value of of home that you're buying. Beyond that, of course, you have all these other fees and costs that come up. One thing you don't want to do is um, you know in your bank account, let's say you have 100k you know, in a savings account or whatever, and thinking that 100K is what you can afford on the down payment, it's far from that. You need to leave buffer for all of these miscellaneous costs. The notary fees, which is obvious, um, there's a lot of le legal documents you have to sign when you go buy a home, like literally a stack of them that you just go dig, 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 and uh, that will run you anywhere between one to 2K. You have property taxes, which you'll have to pay at the end of the year. Uh, geez, those can range depending on the home, which is, and these are not like at the time of sale, but these are things that you probably want to consider in the first year. I think my property tax is anywhere between one, one to 2K uh, on the smaller property. And then on the townhouse, it'll be a few thousand dollars, you know, just tax. You go down to the city hall or whatever it is and you, you give them money. Um, you gotta do that every year. The condo fees, this is something that we deal with because um, you know we live in both like a strata run units for both of them and these condo fees will eat you alive. And what's crazy about them is they just keep going up and up every year. And I don't think as a, as a owner in the building, you have much say. Yeah, you can go to their little board meetings and you can kind of say this or that. But what, from what I understand, especially amongst these apartment buildings, because the insurance is so hard to get uh, for the, you know, the building wide insurance, nobody wants to, you know, insure these buildings for whatever reason. Those have just been jacked up and skyrocketed. And that does all pass through to you as a homeowner. Off the top of my head, you know, I think we pay three, four, five hundred dollars a month um, in strata fees. That's just how it is. And those have ticked up from when we bought them. You know, they started at like 300 and then next year they increase it 18%. And the next thing you know, you're paying a few hundred bucks in these fees that are pretty much non-negotiable. The strata fees are the things that, you know, you pay for your, your garbage disposal and for them to kind of mow your mow your lawns or the community lawns, those types of things. But uh, nevertheless, that is a cost. Insurance is one of the little things that you have to buy. These are not expensive, but you go to square one or whatever it is and, and get a little policy. Maintenance is one. You know, you, you hear about it so much, right? You hear about like, oh, maintenance. You don't think it's a thing. At least me, you know, that's just me being foolish. You know, you hear people talking about it. It never really hits home until it's your place. Then you have to do maintenance or your tenants are, you know, fudging something up. Um, you guys know my story. I did a video on it. Uh, my tenant flooded my apartment, flooded it. Like there was literally, you know, water all over the place. What a goofball. And uh, luckily I had the insurance. They basically paid, uh, all I had to do was pay the premium, uh, which was a thousand dollars or 1500 bucks, whatever it was, or not the premium, excuse me, the, um, you know the word I'm looking for. Nevertheless, we end up getting a whole new set of flooring in, which looks super nice and spick and span now. 
but there was a, you know, a cost of course and, and a process like that takes time, you know, arranging with your tenant to, you know, find a place to stay while they do that because they're not, they didn't move necessarily fast from uh, my experience. It took longer than I would have anticipated, but nevertheless, like stuff like that does happen. Even the little things when I say maintenance, like, you know, just this year we got a new tenant in and, uh, you know, obviously got to get the place ready for him. And that requires, you know, new light bulbs, which sounds like a little thing, but you know, you spend 15, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks on lights, little things like getting cleaners in. We obviously need the place to be professionally cleaned and yeah, I can go scrub it myself, but you know, I opted to use um, actually a subscriber. One of the subscribers I bumped into around here had a cleaning service and uh, you know, we exchanged numbers and whatnot and he ended up doing it for us, but stuff like that does have a, a cost, right? And then even just one thing I have noted here, which is so minor, but these are things to consider. Um, moving costs, like the actual cost of moving in and out. Moving is just a hassle. That's uh, whether you're doing a U-Haul, that costs money, whether you're hiring a moving company, even these silly things like going in and um, you know renting the elevator. Like you have to rent the elevator for a day and often, you know, if you do it on a weekend, you have to hire a security guard, which is an extra 100 bucks, 200 bucks, a lot of little costs that come up. Nevertheless, it's like, these, these things are just things that you have to worry about. We haven't even talked about the mortgages yet. And the mortgage, of course, this is the big, big cash flow drag. Um, when you're going out and putting 20% down on a home, that other 80% um, is loaned to you. It's via the bank. And from my experience, I actually started off my journey with what's called a B lender, okay? So from my understanding, you have your A lenders, which are your kind of top of the line. You're gonna get the best rates, the most uh, trusted and quality you know, banks out there, TD, Royal Bank, um, Scotiabank, whatever it is. They're A lenders. Well, if you don't necessarily qualify for uh, the A lenders, which are very, very strict in what they look at, uh, they really like to look at you know your history, and of course, it makes sense. You know, they want to make sure they're you know issuing their loans to the top of the uh, you know the best the best um, loanees out there. Well, I didn't quite qualify that early on in my my business life. You know, our, our business, you know, which is separate from my personal income, was was doing well and making lots and lots of money. But me, on the other hand, like Brandon's income, wasn't quite there yet. Uh, it wasn't quite as high, and they wouldn't look at the business income even though it was my business, as, um, as uh, there wasn't enough history there, right? I think you need at least two years or whatever it is. And uh, my personal income certainly came below, came below the threshold that they were willing to loan out to. Any, anywho, we went to a B lender. We went through Equitable Bank, which again, you guys might've seen in the past video, I talked about that. I'll uh, give a little snippet. Equitable Bank was the first um, B lender that I went to. And, and a B lender, you know, they'll lend you the money, same as same as always, it'll be very similar terms, very similar deal length, you know, five year this or a fixed mortgage uh, variable, whatever it is, they do come in at a higher interest rate. So that's kind of the trade off is that, hey, they may bypass the two years of, of employment income, maybe they can use your business, recent income statements, those types of things, but they do, you do pay a higher interest rate. So that was the trade off that we did um, and ended up working just fine because what we did was we just used the B lender as kind of that transitionary uh, mortgage till we had the history. Now, if you were to look at my mortgages, they're with uh, the big credible banks. So the banks that you'd bank with. Nevertheless, it was kind of a stepping stone that we saw made sense in our situation. To talk about numbers on mortgages, I don't wanna give too much detail because there's a lot of weird people online that do like scammy stuff and whatnot. Um, this is hilarious. I saw this last night, FYI. Like, what? It, this cracked me up. This on your screen that you're looking at is an ad that uh, the scammers have run where they took my content uh, over to TikTok 
and you know, they're pretending to be me or whatever, trying to get people to send them Bitcoin. You guys know that. If you guys see any scams in the comment section down here, anyone trying to WhatsApp you or you know, get you to do any crypto, this, that, you guys know that's not me. You guys know to report that right away. But like, that's some next level stuff to, to make my hair green. Like that is just uh, ridiculous. That happened last night. Um, Someone sent me that and I was just like, oh my goodness, that's that's goofy. But uh, where was I, where was I? So anywho, yeah, I don't wanna share direct numbers, but for rough ballpark, looking at, for example, my townhome, when we purchased the, the home, my monthly mortgage was in the range of 3,500, right? 3,500 and we did set it up on a variable uh, mortgage. Both of my mortgages are on variable mortgages. We'll talk about that in a second. Long story short, we know how this past year has gone. Those have increased, 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 and now I'm paying somewhere in the ballpark of $5,900 a month, strictly in mortgage costs, strictly uh, a month after month. I split it up bi-weekly, so I split it in two. But yeah, $5,900 as of today, which is a healthy, healthy chunk of money that very, very fast, like situations change, and that definitely takes a takes a hit on your cash flow. Like $5,900 is for me, you know, we we are a business, we do all that's it's a good good chunk and it does eat out to a lot of other areas. Um let's talk about the variable mortgages, right? So, do I regret um setting my mortgages up as variable? Of course I regret that. Like I'd be lying to you to say, "No, there's a um obviously, hindsight's 2020, but if we look back, you know, how do I look back from now to a year or so ago? Of course I would have rather done a fixed rate when we started our mortgage it was somewhere around 1.45. Like that was the variable um, rate that we locked in. 1.45 over the year that has climbed and climbed and climbed to four, five, six, I believe it is now. It is just, uh, it's crazy. And up on the screen, you know, I'll share with you some rough numbers just to share with you guys kind of how this breakdown looks. Again, not with giving too much detail, but what's really crazy is you just see the difference between principal and, um, you know, uh, interest and how that ratio skews as the interest rate gets higher and higher and higher. It turned out that, um, and I was very frustrated to hear this, but with the bank that I was with, they had voluntarily, voluntarily, without asking me, uh, decided that, you know, Canadians are, are feeling a lot of struggle right now and they made a bank-wide decision that rather than increasing my payment, okay, let me backtrack. From what I understand, there's two types of mortgage, two types of variable mortgages out there. There's one variable mortgage where, for example, let's assume you're paying $2,000 a month, right? And you have your allocation between interest and uh, principal. As interest rates rise, and as the cost of borrowing goes up, one of the mortgages is that your your payments increase. So it'd go from 2000 uh, to 2100, 2500, whatever. It increases to keep that ratio for the, to basically to keep you on a normal amortization period of whatever you set, 25 years, understand? The other type of variable mortgage is that your payments stay the same, but the the it skews between principal and interest. You'd essentially be paying more and more interest till you hit the trigger rate until you can't, you know, if you're paying 100% interest, you will hit the trigger rate and then they're gonna make you up it. But uh, those are, in my eyes, the two different types of mortgages. And I had one set up like this, the condo, and I had the townhouse set up where it was set to go up and up and up. Well, KEB, which is the bank that I'm with, um, which again, I, I don't know if that's a B lender or an A lender, uh, technically, but that's, yeah. Anywho, they made a company-wide decision that I only found about after calling them and you know talking to three different people and kind of grilling them on that and saying, why is it not 
increasing uh, because that's if you literally look at how we signed our documents, that what is that's what it was set out to do. They made a company-wide decision that because Canadians are struggling, we assumed that you would have rather not had your um, you know, uh, payments increased. So we ended up just skewing this so that you're just paying a, a, a crap ton of interest. And literally it's like you're paying rent to the bank at that point where of your $3,000, $5,000, it's just covering the interest porn and you're not paying down your, your mortgage anytime faster. You know, I remember seeing with TD, like I looked at my amortization period, you go online and uh, TD actually has some really good mortgage um, details and projections and all these types of little math assumptions you can make. And I looked and it said, you know, basically my mortgage would be paid off in a, I think it was 150 years or something crazy like that. 150 year period at this rate. And I said, that's that's bogus, that's not what I want. Luckily I did the math and uh, understood that I can afford X and X amount. So I had them bump that up to now I'm on a normal amortization schedule. That's one thing I would suggest for anybody uh, in a, well, I wouldn't suggest that. Um, I know a lot of people in my personal circle who are just happy with that for the time being while we kind of get through, you know, however long this period lasts. But uh, for me personally, I would prefer to keep that normal amortization uh, schedule happening. But nevertheless, that's what happens. And you know, what's fascinating, I did a video, uh, if you guys remember a little while back, talking about should you invest or pay down your mortgage if you have extra money. And I ran a few uh, projections and calculations at, you know, the current interest rate, which was like probably sub two at the time, I ran one at I believe three or four or 5%. I even ran, I would say not a worst case scenario, but I ran the scenario of what if interest rates were up at 7%. And I'm pretty sure at the time I mentioned like, you know, this is not what I anticipate, this is not what I foresee, but it is something that you have to budget for. And again, that was like a very big, you know, from 1.2%, 1.5% mortgage to 7%, you know, that did seem very far off, but I didn't want to count it out. And in fact, when I budgeted, I did exactly that. I actually have room for, for more, but very important is that, you know, when times are good, especially when interest rates are low, you, you can't anticipate that's going to happen forever. And do I regret not just locking in a fixed rate? Of course, that would have been nice, but I do have to live with the, the decision that I made. And uh, again, everything that I did was within budget. So although my mortgage payments go up, 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 up right now, that just has to eat out of somewhere else. Uh, it has to eat out of some of my fund money or some of my, um, certainly, unfortunately, some of my investment money. Less money right now goes into stocks for me. They go into this asset, uh, which is uh, real estate, which at the end of the day does help get me to my goals, but I would still rather have more money in my stock portfolio. But um, hey, I wanna quickly talk about finding a tenant and how that experience has been and went. Uh, and the learnings that I have gotten from that, uh, and then talk about the benefits of home ownership, and then wrap this up because I know I've been saying a lot of you know it sounds like oh this sucks and everything. Uh, yeah, there's things to consider, but at the end of the day, you know this isn't a, a bash on real estate. I'm just sharing with you guys my experience and all these things that you may have not have considered. There are still obviously the benefits to it as well. But um, finding a tenant, let me just start by saying this: when they say don't lease and rent to a friend like a peer of yours. I understand why they say that now. And it's like age old advice that you'll hear, it's wisdom that you'll hear everywhere. And it doesn't really hit home until it's happened to you. But um, yeah, I had a bit of a horror story just a couple months ago with my tenant who was a high school buddy of mine, a friend, played video games together, uh, we played basketball together, buddy, buddy. He was paying $1,500 a month, um, which right now the, the unit rents for 2350. So 
2400 if you will. Um, but yeah, $1,500 a month, which was a, a good deal. And it made sense at the time, and I was able to do that. He kept saying I'm gonna raise throughout the year. Oh, I'm set for this new position. You know, I'm gonna interview here in the next quarter. I'm gonna begin this new role so I can increase my, that never happened, obviously. Long story short, the, the year goes well, you know, really well, flood aside, which is just a, you know, honest mistake, that stuff happens. But um, he moves out, he's all happy, we're dapping each other up, hands over the keys, all is good. And then he ends up basically demanding, um, you know, money from me. Like he sends me a text and some screenshots of the thing online, you owe me X amount rent, like I have to pay him rent because he moved out and he was shedding me all the stuff. And he sends a text saying, I'm not here to argue or debate, but if you don't send the money within X amount of days, I'll be bringing this up with RTB, which is the rent residential tenancy branch um, that handles all these disputes and everything. And I'm like, what the heck? Um, first of all, it really caught me off guard like a bit of a low blow um, because, you know, hey, you had a pretty good place all year long and I did my best to be a good landlord. And again, everything seemed to go well, but he was under the impression that he was owed some extra money, like a month or two rent because he was asked to leave. and. You know, I totally thought that he was too. When I first got that, I'm like, oh crap, this is a whole learning for me. Um, I owe this guy money. I ended up doing my research, uh, due diligence, calling the RTB and, you know, getting the whole story out. Turns out I owe him absolutely nothing. Like I owe him zero. And um, there's a very misinterpreted uh, page on the website that says, you know, if you were asked to leave, da 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 da, you were entitled to one or two months rent. And um, this is true. If a certain form is signed, and this is where it gets hilarious, there's a specific form that has to be issued. I have to issue him this form that says, I am requesting you leave this property within two months for my own personal use, whatever the case is. And we both have to sign it. And they asked me, did you issue that form? Is it signed? And I'm like, no, I didn't even know about this form. Like, uh, this is the first I'm hearing about it. And they're like, okay, well then you don't owe him anything. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, it says here on the website that if I asked him to leave, which I did, because I needed to find a new tenant at a you know better rate. Um, and he said, well, if there's no form signed, he just voluntarily left. He voluntarily left and handed over his uh, keys to the property. I guess typically what happens is these tenants will, you know, they'll burrow, burrow in and they'll be the, you know, kind of the, they'll be the one that is is not wanting to leave. And they'll, that's really where the problem is, is they'll basically kind of dig their, dig, dig their heels in the sand and say, I'm not moving. But um, what happened in our case was they they said, your tenant's out of the property? I'm like, yeah, like I have the keys, like he's gone. And they're like, well, in theory, your tenant moved out and hasn't paid this month's rent. So there was no end of tenancy. Like there was no form that ended the tenancy. After a year, it technically trickled over to month to month, right? It goes one year term, then month to month. So they said, you know, you don't have to do this. Like it's a, it's a pity thing to do, but in theory, I could counter, uh, you know, dispute him because he had voluntarily left the property without really ending the tenancy. He gave me the keys, like it's basically a vacant house, but on paper, like if they were to go to, there's a little tenancy court, uh, like it's a literal court thing where you provide your, your, your evidence and all this stuff. But if it were to go to court, in theory, he is on the title, it's gone to month to month and he hasn't paid rent. So he hasn't paid this month rent, he just chose not to be in the house and it was just this huge, uh, it was a real roller coaster. I went from being like, you know, really caught off guard and like, what the heck? Like, felt a little bit, you know, undermined by the person, um, bit upset, 
fully expecting, okay, I got to pay this guy to like the polar opposite happening and being like, this is the best news ever. Um, turns out I didn't end up uh, wanting to be, you know, pitiful and spiteful. And I didn't want to, um, I mean, I, at first I did, but then I'm just like, after sleeping on it a day or two, it's like, it is what it is. Didn't end up pursuing that or anything of that sort. Yeah, it was just funny how that turned out. Case in point being, what I learned was, you know, do everything very officially, uh, everything from the move in, you know, inspections and all of the forms, make sure everyone has that. And if you are gonna be lending to, to friends, like when money comes in, you know, I guess it depends on the friend, but um, some people, when, it, when the money comes in the door, like that, that'll change things. And for me, like, it's not a money thing. I know people, it's easy to say, but it truly is not a, it was not a money thing. Oh, I had to pay him $1,500 worth of rent. It was like the principle of, um, really, you gonna do me like this? That ended up going there. But nevertheless, uh, that, so yeah, that's my lesson there. Um, yeah, friendships can be ruined uh, w w with a tenancy. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I did find a really good tenant in now who I'm very much like, uh, awesome, awesome guy, young guy. What's crazy is I posted this, uh, you know, just this last year, did everything myself, went to, you know, Darwin helped me out, but um, Craigslist, uh, Facebook Marketplace, made a couple postings. And within 48 hours, we got, I kid you not, like 40 to 50 uh, inquiries about this property. And um, I guess that just goes to show how much demand there is for rent. And like I said, it's like renting for 23, 2400 bucks for a one bedroom apartment. It's crazy how much they go for. But uh, essentially, long story short is right now, those are at my costs for the mortgage, the strata, uh, property tax kind of thing in there. But uh, the way I see it is now, I've got a tenant in there who's paying that that place down on a normal amortization period, which is great. I just have to worry about my um, my um, townhome. But yeah, that's kind of the, the situation. I guess in terms of benefits, what I would say is this, what I've been taught by investing in real estate is um, obviously like this one goes without saying, but you, you do get the advantage of leveraged returns, right? Leveraged returns meaning like, you know, people are so against margin in the stock market. We'd never want to borrow money to invest. And I think that is very wise and, um, you know, good advice uh, for the most part. I mean, people tend to forget that when you buy real estate, which is an asset, you know, 80% of what you own is is leverage. 80% is, is, is loaned from the bank. You know, you're putting 20% down, but you're getting exposure to 100% of the asset. And assuming that grows well over time, which in a market that I that we live in, which is a desirable place to live, I would anticipate it to grow very much in line with probably the stock market. Um, a lot of demand always for Richmond. Again, I say always, but who knows? Nevertheless, um, that's that's one thing that, yeah, in very few cases in life, can you put 20% down on an investment and, and end up you know owning the entire thing? You don't obviously own it, but you do partake in that growth over the next 10, 15, 20 years. I think what's been biggest for me um, is simply the, 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 the forced savings um, nature of this. And like I said, it sucks that my, you know, monthly costs are going up and up and up. Like it sucks for the cash flow. But it is forcing me. There is no choice that I have to put money away. Would I be putting that much money towards my investments? Like would I be putting six thousand or eight thousand dollars a month to my investments had I just had that? Probably not, to be completely honest with you. I'd definitely put money in, but would it be as much as it is? Um no, like that's just a simple fact of the matter. What real estate and owning a home forces you to do is you don't have a choice. Like you have to pay your mortgage and you have to put money away every month and allocate that towards your um, towards your mortgage payments, therefore, you know, paying down your home. I think that that is a, it's a really cool embedded benefit 
of owning home ownership is that it forces you to save and it forces you to put money away. Again, it's not the same as the stock market in that you have all this liquid money that you can go and do what you want with, but you are putting money towards an asset. Um, and of course, it's an asset that provides you a, a home and a shelter, right? I cannot live in my brokerage account. I cannot live in my Apple shares or my McDonald's shares. Like those are stocks that are gonna make me money, but it's not a physical asset like a home where you know you can raise a family and you can um, you know stay warm at night and uh, park your car and all this stuff. So it does have its pros and cons. I think uh, in summary for this video, again, I know it kind of came off as a gloomy uh, uh, thing. It's not meant to be gloomy, but I do just want you guys to understand like, there are a lot of costs that you have to save up for. It is expensive. Um, you need to have quite a bit saved up. And I think importantly, what I've learned over this past year is when you are budgeting, you know, how much home you can afford and you look at your cash flow on a month by month basis, plan for the worst case scenario. Again, I'm grateful I did this. So it's really fascinating. If you go back and watch that video that I'm talking about, where I talk about paying down my home or this, like I run the scenario up to a 7% interest rate. And there was a couple comments below saying like, oh, it's never gonna get there, da, da, da. It's like, it kind of did. And was I foreseeing that? Did I expect that? No, but did I factor that in? I did, in a worst case scenario. And now it could get worse, to be completely honest with you. I'm not saying this is the worst, but um, in such a fast time, the rate's going up this fast, um, it is something to account for. And those are things that I would definitely, uh, you know, point you towards is doing the math and really crunching that. One thing that I think helps a lot with the psychological aspect of being a homeowner is knowing that you are in a strong financial position. Like let's just say something like job security, um, you know, obviously savings, which you need to have. But I think if you have a really stable career in front of you, like you're in a position where you're not really at, at risk of getting your job cut, uh, pay cuts, um, you know, getting laid off, which we're seeing a lot of people now, even these, you know, big tech firms all laying people off, you may think you have a good job, but understanding that you are in a secure place uh, in your job can provide you a lot of peace of mind and uh, mental security when it comes to this stuff. Because again, it, it definitely can hit hard. Like it can be a very worrying and um, unsettling feeling when your mortgage rates are going up and maybe your income isn't going up to match that. Uh, me, myself, I mean, I for as long as I can remember, I've been, you know, earning my own money. Like I've been, yeah, I worked with my dad for a few years, uh, which was great and lucky and I'm blessed to do that. But when I branched off, um, everything was, was, was myself and my earnings are very fluctuating. You know, YouTube here, some months are good, some months are bad. It's, it, it's scary being an entrepreneur really, because you don't have that security, that fallback of, I got my salary and I can budget for this. And I know uh, it's really the polar opposite. It has its pros and cons. You can also make a lot more. But case in point being is that I think having a, really dialed in to your your career um, and the, the security that that offers, that can provide a lot of clarity. And yeah, don't go jumping in, you know, don't be so excited to buy a home, uh, especially if you're young and you're all over the place, if you don't have that security in place and if you're not in a position to, because I can see now why so many people would find themselves in a pickle if they had bid on more than they could chew, if they bought more than they could, and now these rates are going up and maybe they're job isn't or they're losing uh you know work hours or whatever the case is and then you got to go sell your home at a loss like you know at a uh, underwater if you will where your home value doesn't even recoup you um it, it would be a losing investment in that case um don't do that don't don't 
don't want to own a home that much that you would put yourself in a situation like that. I think renting is very, very suitable for a lot of people. But um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on uh, on my experience for home ownership. Like I said, am I an expert at this? Absolutely not. I am learning as I go and it's fun. Um, it's a lot of work, but it is fun. Uh, it's all good life learning for me. And I know, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, I'll look back and you want to have new tenants in this or that it'll be second nature, but this first go around and getting all the forms ready and doing all the stuff. It's, um, it's all new and it's all exciting, but, uh, yeah, just to say it's not all rainbows and sunshine, but I do, um, I'm grateful that I'm in a position to be finding these things out and learning these things. Um, always, always possible. Cause if you guys watching my videos and making it through to the end for those of you that have. So if you guys appreciated my thoughts uh, and enjoyed, give this video a thumbs up. Let me know what you think down below. I'm very curious to just hear all of your thoughts on this. Like anything that I said about this video, am I approaching it the wrong way? Um, have you experienced similar things? Do not hesitate to leave a comment down below. Of course, we have our investing academy. Uh, if you're in the market for training in the stock market, uh, not so much real estate. In fact, we don't really talk about real estate at all. As you can clearly see, I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, that's that first link down below. As always, I thank you guys for watching. I hope you enjoyed and I'll see you in the next video.